Well, there we have it. After months of deceit and deception, the pathetic spectacle of a man who's run out of road. His defence, his defence, that he didn't realise he was at a party. (laughs) It it, it is so ridiculous that it's actually offensive to the British public. He's finally been forced to admit what everyone knew, that when the whole country was locked down, he was hosting boozy parties in Downing Street. Is he now going to do the decent thing and resign? I I appreciate the the point that he's making about the the event that I uh, I attended. Uh, I want to to repeat that uh, I thought it was a a work event. and, And, Mr Speaker... Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by James Forsyth. We're back on our roof in Parliament. You may hear some chants from protesters across Parliament Square. And we've had a, a, a furious Prime Minister's questions today, haven't we, James? The atmosphere was, was quite something. I don't think I've experienced anything like it in my... I've been in the Commons for more than a decade now and you've been there longer. Yeah, it started off with... Boris Johnson doing something quite unusual for Boris Johnson, an apology. And normally Boris Johnson's attitude to scandals is say nothing, keep your head down and hope something turns up to move a story on. I mean, the fact that he felt the need to apologise is a sign that this story is too big for that to happen. Now, I thought the initial part of the apology was quite powerful, but then I think it got bogged down in him trying to suggest that this might technically have been within the rules where he understood why people saw it wasn't in the rules. He said that he had been at this party for, I think it was just under half an hour, uh, and relatively early on, 6 to 6.30, uh, 6.05 to 6.30, I think it was. And he said that he thought it was a work event. Now, I, I think the difficulty of, of, of that as an explanation is actually not the fact that Martin Reynolds sent this email saying bring your own booze, because you could argue the Prime Minister wouldn't have read that, but the, the number of people present and the kind of occasion it was makes it hard to think that it was a work, like it, it was discussing kind of policy. And I think also the other thing to remember is that the, the rules in the first lockdown were stricter than they have been at, at any point since. And so there, there was less flex on this kind of thing. I thought that every opposition MP called for Boris Johnson to resign. But what would worry me a lot more than that if I was Boris Johnson was the fact that Tory benches were almost totally silent. And there was a like remark- statues, weren't they? Yeah. They could barely I mean, move. And I think they found their face masks quite convenient because it obscured their reaction. <laughs> yeah. And I thought what was remarkable was the lack of a reaction, actually. Keir Starmer quite you're not allowed in the chamber to accuse someone of lying. So Keir Starmer said that the British public would think that Boris Johnson was lying, which Lindsay Hall was proud to let him get away with. But normally that kind of attempt, the Commons would go into uproar as Tory MPs would shout, withdraw, 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 they put pressure on the Speaker. There was, there was almost total silence, and I didn't, I didn't hear one Tory MP objecting yeah. to that. And maybe there was one, but there was certainly no concerted attempt to demand that the Speaker force Keir Starmer to withdraw it. And... That is the worry for Boris Johnson because ultimately the Tory MPs have to write to angry constituents who've written to them. They have to be prepared to do 
not just national media, but, you know, talk to their local paper, their local radio stations. And also one straw in the wind to pick up today and also defend this to their association. I mean, you know, it is. And I think this is one of the things here. We've got so used to, after these years of kind of highly polarised politics in this country around Brexit and uh, and the like, that some people are, are take a tribal position and they won't see any wrong in that. This, this isn't like that. No. And I think that, that is one of the things that makes this so dangerous for Downing Street. Yeah, and I think the, the way in which Keir Starmer didn't put very much of himself into his questions. I mean, you know, he could have done what he's done previously and say, look, I was a lawyer, I've been in the magistrate's court, that defence wouldn't have stood up then. Because, I mean, the defences that Boris Johnson were giving, you know, when I started my career, I I spent a lot of time in magistrate's courts. And I have to say, I've heard better ones from people who were still drunk who were defending themselves in Portsmouth Magistrate's Court. Uh, So Kistama could have uh, made references to that. But actually, the the, the person who loomed the largest in his question was uh, a woman called Hannah, whose dad had been dying at the same time as this party was taking place. And this is why it's so visceral, is there are so many people, and it's quite overwhelming to to sort of watch it on social media, actually, who, you know, lost a loved one or who, you know, I I had a a baby in the middle of the pandemic and a lot of my friends who had babies actually were in hospital on their own, recovering from C-sections with twins and their husbands couldn't come in and look after them and that sort of thing. And and when you've got so many people with these stories or with someone who they care about with those stories, that's when it starts to get very, very difficult, as you say, for it just to become a a, a party political issue that Conservative MPs are happy to, to go out to to bat for the Prime Minister. It was significant again this morning that there was no minister on uh, the broadcast round uh, defending the government, even though there had been one yesterday. I think there's a lot of people who are just keen to be as far away from this as possible, including, it has to be said, the Prime Minister, who spent, as you say, the the second half of Prime Minister's questions really suggesting that somebody else had been PM and that he deeply regrets the decisions that they had made and that uh, he's hoping that they will face the consequences. So I I think that sort of visceral response that Conservative MPs are getting is, is what led to a lot of them being kind of frozen during that session and we had this bizarre succession of because obviously Tory MPs were still getting called by the speaker because you alternate between the parties between opposition bench and and government bench uh, at PMQs and all of the questions none of them referred to anything the prime minister had said or backed him up or anything like that most of them were sort of facts about constituencies like the manufacturing heritage of Eastleigh or my favourite one was the motto of Rutland which I now know lots about from uh, MPs who for some reason, thought it was still worth saying something rather than needing emergency dental surgery. I think the one consolation for Boris Johnson about his MPs, though, was that none of them broke cover in the chamber and directly criticised him. Although it is a bit like saying, after all that, did you still enjoy the play, Mrs Lincoln? No, no. (laughs) Now, I think it's interesting because just as we are recording this podcast, Douglas Ross, who is the leader of Scottish Conservatives but also a Westminster MP... He has now, we learned from Sky News, done a clip with them in which he has called on Boris Johnson to go. Now, we haven't seen the clip, but I think that is important because up to now, we've had lots of criticism from Boris Johnson, but no one directly saying that. Now, set against that, uh, I'm told that Priti Patel has just sent a message to Tory MPs kind of encouraging them to rally around the Prime Minister. And there's an expectation that Dominic Raab, the Deputy Prime Minister, will soon come out and do a clip supportive of the Prime Minister. So, But I think the, 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 the question now is... How many Tory MPs 
follow what Douglas Ross has said. And I think that, you know, one of them, one Tory MP said to me that, you know, today was like a kind of bridging loan to get Boris Johnson to the report. But I think we often say this on this podcast, but I think this is particularly true. I think what's going to matter an awful lot is what MPs feel when they go back to their constituencies this weekend. Mm. I think that, you know, A, do they feel that they can explain it away when they're out and about there? And then I think the other question is this, which is what one might say cynically, is the Tory party picked Boris Johnson to do two things, to get Brexit done and to beat Jeremy Corbyn. I think the biggest danger to Boris Johnson is not the people who, re- like in the Tory party, who really can't stand him, but the people saying, well, look, he's done that, and to be fair to him, no one else could have done that as decisively as he did, but maybe he's outlived his usefulness. I mean, that's the most dangerous argument to Boris Johnson. It's a sort of second-hand car dealer thing as well, isn't it? It's something that um, the Conservative MP I was talking to said that, you know, you, you buy the car off them once because it looks really attractive, but do you go back to them once you've realised that there was sawdust in the engine? Yeah, and, and, and I think this is... So I think the other thing which will matter is you saw after Christmas that the absence of political news over the holiday period and, you know, I think the fact that Boris Johnson's gamble on the COVID restrictions appeared to be paying off, the Tory poll rating was coming back up again. And I think that, you know, again, you might say that this this shouldn't matter, but these things do matter in politics, let's be honest. If the next set of polls also matters to the Tories, because... I mean, MPs have a sense that this is cut through. I think the question of what it means in terms of their own seats will have a big impact on people. So I think we wait and see. I think that one thing I will say is I think that civil servants are very loathe to say things that look like they are trying to remove prime ministers. And so I would caution on that on the report. But I would also say something else, which is, if you look even at Lord Guyte reports into the Downing Street wallpaper, that is a complicated story. And so you can write long paragraphs. This is a much simpler story that people understand. And so I think even a factual report could elicit quite a visceral reaction from the public. And the question that lots of people in Westminster are asking is, is this just the latest thing that he's going to get away with ultimately? What do you think, James? I think there is a question, which is this, which is Boris Johnson has been written off more times in his political career than than nearly any other politician I can think of. And yet he is prime minister. But I I think the question is, is whether is this the kind of story that you can shrug off in the way that he has other scandals? And also, I think the other question is, is the Tory party now that it has got Brexit done and beaten Jeremy Corbyn, in as tolerant a mood towards him as it has been at at various previous points in his premiership. Thank you, James. Thank you for listening. And do sign up to my daily Evening Blend email, which is a free roundup and analysis of all the political news, along with a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend.